Amen. Good morning, church. It's been a good day so far. But I want to tell you about a certain night. It was evening after the sun had set, which was a pretty typical time for Jewish religious leaders, teachers, rabbis, Pharisees to get together with each other and have conversation. They were they would get together in the evening away from the crowds of the synagogue. They were in a little bit more private setting. It was a place where they didn't have to worry about other people, too many people listening in in case they had a challenging conversation, in case they were going to challenge one another. It would help save their reputation as religious authorities, as authority figures there. And it was in that kind of setting that Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the religious leader, approached Jesus. Out of respect, he went to Jesus in the evening. And he said to him, Jesus, we all think that you have been sent here by God to teach us. And we we think this because we see the miracles that you continue to do in us. But then what Jesus said to Nicodemus shook Nick a little bit. Jesus replied, well, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Nicodemus took Jesus phrase literally. And so he had this question, and enough said about that. (laughs) Jesus replied, well, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. And then later in this interaction, Jesus says what is perhaps his most famous statement ever. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone, say everyone. Everyone, man, you guys did a good job with that. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Because God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Everybody say save. Save. See, as followers of Jesus, this is the essence of what we believe. That this is the hinge pin for all of what we believe. We stake our faith, we stake our lives, we put our trust in this statement. Not only that Jesus can save us, but that he will save us and that Jesus desires to save us, that Jesus wants to save us from our sin. And the really great news is that the invitation for that salvation to find new life, a forever life in Jesus, that the invitation is offered to everyone. It's offered to people like Lydia. Lydia was a prominent businesswoman in the town of Philippi in the first century. She was a maker and seller of purple cloth, a very high-end commodity at that time. And she was doing quite well. She had money. She had status in society. She had fortune. She had all of it. She had stability. She was doing well. If you were to look at her and put it in a contemporary context, she was the CEO who had performed well, and her stocks were on the rise. I mean, things were going well for her. And she was a God-fearer, a God-seeker, but there was still a void, still a hole. She wasn't quite satisfied. She knew there was something else. She had made it to the top of the ladder and realized that the view from there really wasn't all that she thought it could or should be, not all she wanted it to be. There was still a void in her life, and she was looking to fill that. She knew there was still something there. And so when Paul and Silas came to Philippi and they were preaching the good news, offering the invitation of Jesus to find new life in him, This is what happened. 
Lydia listened to them, and the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying, and she and her household were baptized right then. Beautiful story. The invitation from Jesus is for everyone, people like Lydia. It's also for people like the jailer in Philippi. Same town, we don't know this man's name, but we do know he was a jerk. That's how it would be for jailers in that day. These guys would rough up the prisoners in their care, beat them, whip them, say nasty things to them, give them a hard time. Well, earlier in the day, Paul and Silas had been traveling through town, and there was a girl who was demon-possessed, and she was a slave girl from these owners. These people who owned her as though you can own a person, but her owners were leveraging her demon possession for their own good to basically sell her wares and, and get money from it. And Paul Silas set her free from the demon possession, and that broke the chains of the money-making market for these other guys. As you can imagine, the guys who owned her weren't very excited about that. So they got a mob. They started a riot. They went after Paul Silas. They beat them. They made accusations against them. These guys had Paul and Silas arrested. And so here, Paul and the boys, they're beaten, they're bloodied, they're arrested, they're mocked, they're tortured, they're chained up in the jail. And their response was prayer and praise. I'd like to think that I might respond that way. Maybe. But that was their response, prayer and praise. And so hours later, they're praying out loud to God. They're singing praise songs like what we just did a couple times. They're singing these songs out to God. And then about midnight, an earthquake happens. And it shakes the foundation of that jail. It shakes it to the point where the, the chains are loosened from every prisoner there. The prison's doors open up and the jailer awakens from this and he sees what's going on, sees empty chains and open doors and thinks to himself, I'm done for. This man who has made himself somebody by knocking other people down, by making them nobodies, a guy who has tried to elevate his own status and, and make himself a little bit higher by beating other people down, he now knows that what he's done, well, there's some regret to it because in that culture, in that custom, if the prisoners escape, then he has to pay their penalty. He has to take their place. It's the one who's in charge. It's the one who oversees it. If they get loose, then he's, he's gonna be held to account. But forget what the Roman authorities might do to him. He, he has beaten, he's whipped, he's tortured, he's mocked these other men who are prisoners. Now they're gone, they're on the loose. They're gonna wanna exact some blood vengeance from him. He decides, my world is crashing down. Everything that I thought was okay is now not okay. And these guys are gonna come after me. Best for me to end it on my own because that's gonna be way less painful than what those guys might do to me. He grabs his sword and he's at the point of suicide. He's about to take his own life. Now some of you, some of you are more like Lydia. You've climbed the ladder. You've got the status. You've got the accolades. You've won the awards. You're doing well. Your 401k is doing just fine, even amidst some turmoil. You're, you're doing all right. You've got success, and yet it feels a little empty. Others of you, you, you know the regret of the jailer. Maybe you've not beaten, whipped, tortured people, but maybe you've pushed other people down to lift yourself up a little bit. You're trying to make yourself look better by what you've said or done to others. Maybe 
Maybe you just have some regrets. For some of you, you're, you've got things that have haunted you for years, for decades, and they just keep nagging at you. Some of you, it was just last night. Maybe that outburst of anger where you said something you should not have. Or that moment of still silence when you should have spoken up and you didn't. Maybe you walked off when you should have stayed or you let the other person go when you should have fought to keep them. Maybe, maybe you've taken something from someone. Maybe you stole someone's dignity. Maybe you stole someone's promotion. Maybe you stole someone's accomplishment. Maybe you stole what was rightly somebody else's. Maybe you stole someone's husband. You stole someone's wife. You stole someone's virginity. and You have regrets that have followed you. You've taken something. Maybe you've gotten to that point where you get found out and it all just comes crashing down on you. I don't know how I would have responded if I were Paul. I would like to think I would respond the way he did. But Paul sees the jailer and Paul's response is the man has a sword to his chest is to say, wait, 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 wait. Look, all the prisoners are here. I kept them from leaving. Don't harm yourself. You're gonna be okay. This man who is torturing him, beat him, bloodied him, Paul says, whoa, 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 hold on. And then this happens. They shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, now this is way after midnight. I mean, all this stuff starts happening in the wee hours in the morning. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Notice this radical change in what's happening. This man is washing off the blood, tending the wounds that he himself had inflicted on these men earlier in the day. And then, then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. I love this picture. You know, that's what we see in scripture. Whenever someone puts their hope, puts their trust in Jesus, they hear the message of Jesus, they believe in him, the normal response is an immediate baptism. The, the, the response is to be immersed in the water. That's what the word baptism means. It's really not a very good translation because it's not a translation at all. We just took a Greek word and we threw it in our English language and pretend we know what it means. It actually means to dip, to plunge, to immerse, to drown, to, to just thrust under, and then you bring back up. And so the, the typical normal response when somebody says, I'm going all in with Jesus is they're plunged underwater in this picture of death and burial and resurrection. And it's an immediate thing. It's what we see when, when Peter preaches to the crown in Acts chapter two. There's this huge religious festival. Jesus has lived, he's been crucified, he's dead, he's resurrected, then he ascends back to heaven. And there's this huge religious festival not long after that and all these Jewish people gathered. And Peter preaches to them and he says, you know this Jesus, this Jesus who lived and performed miracles amongst us and whom you crucified, whom you killed, and he's now back to life and he's Lord, he's Savior, this is Jesus and you need him to be saved. And the crowd shouts out to him, well, what do we, what do, we do? How, how can we be saved? What must we do to be saved? And Peter's response is this, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. That's what repentance means. It means you've been running away from God, you stop and you turn toward God. That's repentance, is turning to God from the way you've been running from him. So you gotta repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, those who believed what Peter said 
were baptized and added to the church that day. I love this. This is one of my favorite accounts in the entire Bible. About 3,000 people in all. Boom. Oh, we believe. We heard. We surrender. We're in. 3,000 people throughout that day. I mean, what must that have looked like? What must the water have been like? I mean, just the, the spot. I mean, because you know, like, Peter not baptized with three. He doesn't have that much time. Like, the boys jumping. It, what an awesome thing to see. What a beautiful thing to see. So, friend, here's the deal. Whether you're standing on top of the world like Lydia was, or your world is crashing down like it was for the jailer, Jesus gives the same invitation to everyone. It's the same invitation to you, no matter where you are on that spectrum, on top of the world where it's crashing down or you're somewhere in between, the invitation for new life is offered to you, regardless. This is what Paul was talking about when Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in the first century. He said, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life. Say new life. Right? You were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And you were dead. Say dead. Yeah, you online, you don't say it. Say dead. All right, we got you. That's a morbid thing. Like everybody shout death. That just sounds terrible, right? It is morbid, but that's the reality of life without God, of life without Jesus. You're dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature is not yet cut away from you. That's where we are without Jesus. But then God made you alive. Everybody say alive. Alive. You said that with a lot more joy, I could tell. Made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. You know, the cross of Jesus is a beautiful thing, but it's not enough. He nailed our sins to the cross, but if Jesus would have just done that, if he'd have just stayed in the grave, then there's no power. But the mighty power of God that Paul speaks of there, of what rose Jesus back to life, victorious over the grave, victorious over death, victorious over sin, that's where our hope is. That's where the power is. Friend, here's what this means for you. You don't just need a new start, a restart. You don't, you don't need just a reboot on the way you're doing things. You do that, you'll continue to hit the repeat button on your mistakes, you'll just cycle through them again and again, making the same old, same old. You you don't need that. What you need is a rebirth. You need to be reborn. You need a resurrection to new life. You don't need just some quick fix to a temporary problem. You don't need a healing to a long-time illness. You need a resurrection to a brand new life. You get healed for a moment. Death still comes in the end. But you choose rebirth in Jesus. You don't have to worry about that. You find a life that will never, ever end. And it doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you're on, whether you're holding the world in your hands or you're barely holding on. Without Jesus, it's the same for all of us. Every one of us is spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. Without Christ, It doesn't matter how much you've got here, you're bankrupt spiritually, eternally, without Jesus. And this means we gotta stop relying on ourselves to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Friends, none of us can save ourselves. None of us are that good. We need God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We need Jesus to do for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. Scripture tells us that it's by grace that we've been saved 
and not of ourselves, that we have nothing to boast in except the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ in our lives. That it's by what he has done for us. And so by design, God gives us this beautiful picture of a shared salvation, of a shared commitment where we enter into salvation together as a body, joined as a family, as a church, together we're in this thing. Because Christ saves us, and there's common ground there. And he gives us this beautiful picture of how we enter into that, how we gain the new birth. And and it happens in baptism. There's this picture of death and burial and resurrection back to new life. And it's equal ground, or equal water, I suppose, for all of us. It's the same pool. It's the same thing for each of us. That no matter if you look like you've got it all together, you look like you don't got it together at all, it's the same process of new birth of coming to Jesus because all of us are in equal need of saving. You know, there was a time when I thought that before we would baptize somebody, before we would launch somebody into that new life, that we needed to take people through a long, lengthy, arduous like curriculum, this, this educational process to make sure they knew all the ins and outs of the church and what they were getting into and all that kind of stuff. And, and that might not necessarily be bad, but the problem was, as I continued to study the Bible, I just couldn't find that there. There's no place for that in Scripture. Sure, there were some people who had questions, but usually it was one or two questions that got answered in a relatively short conversation. Oftentimes, people responded as a result of a sermon, a message. They heard the good news of Jesus, they saw their need for it, and they went all in. It wasn't a long educational process that was an immediate response to an obvious need. This is what Peter was referring to and he wrote to the early church. He said that water, and he's referring to the water of the flood, Noah and the flood. He said that flood water that God used to kind of cleanse the earth back in the day. He said that's a picture of baptism. A baptism which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body. It's way more than like a bath. He said, but it's a response. Say response. It's a response to God from a clean conscience. It's effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a response that's effective because of what Christ has already done. You know, sometimes people look at baptism as it's a rule or as it's just obedience or it's just some spiritual thing that, you know, we do. It's some act that we perform. But the reality is it's not some spiritual work we do. It's simply us surrendering and submitting to allow God to do his work in us. It's way more about what he's up to than what we're up to. In that water of baptism, that there's something beautiful that happens. And there are many who, over the years, have kind of downplayed baptism because they're afraid that if we put too much emphasis on it, we're, we're emphasizing what we as humans do. Like, we don't want to overemphasize our part in the process. And I get that. Because it's really not about us. It's about him. But, but I think when we downplay any part of it, we miss what God is up to, what he does. Because there's this beautiful thing that happens there. Where God takes all this ordinariness, ordinary people, and ordinary water, and an ordinary day. And he comes in with his extraordinary, his extraordinariness. And does something supernatural in the midst of all of our naturalness. Where he breathes divine life into a person. And raises him up to a brand new life forever with him. That's what God's up to in that moment, and it's incredible, and it's beautiful. And let's not miss that, and let's not downplay that. 
You know, the power to remove sins is not in the water. The power to remove sin is not in the one doing the baptizing. The power to remove sin is not in the submission of the one being baptized. The power to remove sin is in the resurrected power of Jesus' blood alone. That's it. But it's there that we unwrap the gift of grace to receive that new life. It's there that we enter into that new life. The power's not anything we're doing. It's all in what he's doing. But that's that moment he's given us, this beautiful shared experience. You know, as Americans, we like to talk about the Declaration of Independence and our freedoms and blah, blah, blah. But as Christians, we find a very different citizenship, a citizenry of heaven. And the freedom that we have is not because of our independence, but because of our dependence. Baptism is a declaration of our dependence upon Christ, that we depend on him and him alone for our salvation, that it doesn't come from us, that it doesn't come from anything we can do, that it comes from us surrendering to what he's done for us, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, the fact that he's preparing our place even right now, he's preparing your eternal spot in heaven for you. And what a beautiful thing. So we declare our dependency on him, and it's our first step of repentance, of turning from whatever we were doing and turning back to God. It's like this whole body prayer that we offer in the water of baptism. And then it's from there, from our baptism, that we learn to follow God, that we learn what it is to walk a life of faithfulness for the long haul. It's a starting line, not a finish line. It's where we begin. And I want you to know, here at Oklahoma Christian Church, if you begin that process, we're committed to joining in it with you to help you learn what it is to follow Jesus for the long haul, to live a life of faithfulness. Because it's not about just some momentary decision in the water. It's about a movement towards God throughout the rest of your life. A lifetime of moving closer and closer to Jesus, allowing him to change us more and more. And when we do that, we find greater joy and greater peace and greater fulfillment. We find life. Some of you, some of you feel like you've blown it there. Like you made a decision a long time ago. Like I'll go all in with Jesus. But you don't feel like you've been moving towards God much. And the reality is you haven't. We talk about a lifetime of faithfulness and it just, maybe it's been faithless for you for a long time. Some of you, you feel like, man, you've made mistakes that are just unforgivable. So hear me when I say, don't be that arrogant to think that you can out the grace of God. That, that you have more power in your sinning than God has in his resurrecting. You don't. His love, his forgiveness is greater than your disobedience and your wandering. And some of you, man, you feel like you've just run a million miles away. Like you've put so much distance between you and God that there's, it, you want to turn back, but it's just too far. But what you don't know, what you don't realize is the whole time you've been running, you've run a million miles from God. But what you don't know is the whole time he's been chasing after you and you turn to him, you turn back to him. He's not a million miles away. He's right there behind you. He's just right there. He's just waiting for you to turn back to him. Like he's not that far. He's right there. The whole time you've gone, he's been chasing you. So you just turn to him and you'll find him right there. Friends, some of you feel like, like maybe today you need to rededicate yourself because you know 
Yeah, he's there. I need to turn back to him. And while we would never necessarily teach that somebody should be rebaptized, like I think if you're wanting to turn back to God, the first one probably took. <laughs> but if you think you need that, if you need that for, for a clean conscience, like Peter says, like Paul says, then we're not gonna refuse somebody who says, I wanna re-up my commitment to Jesus. You know, one of the metaphors the New Testament authors use for our faith journey is this picture of a race, which doesn't sound too appealing. I, I used to be a distance runner. I used to be a track cross-country coach. And it's funny when I tell people that, a lot of times they're like, oh man, I, don't know, I, I hate running. Like that is the number one response I get when I tell people I used to run and that I still run from time to time or you know, that I used to coach. Like, oh, that's miserable. Like you're a torture guy. Like that's terrible. Like my sport was every other sport's punishment, right? Like you get in trouble in any other sport. What do they do? Go run. My sport was like, oh no, it's that we, we're just punishment without good, I guess. I don't know. But we have this metaphor of the, of the Christian life as, as a race. And so, you know, yeah, you get stuff that happens as you come up to the starting line, right? Of course, there's some things that go on before the starting line. But the starting line, the, the starting line of faith is when we hear the message of Jesus and we hear his love for us. And we hear that God is for us and not against us. That God was to redeem us and not con- condemn us. That God loves us and he doesn't hate us. And that we can enter into new life, a brand new life with him. And we hear that message and we're moved to the point of saying, I want that. I desire that. We go all in and we declare it. We declare our allegiance. We confess in front of other people and we make that decision. We believe. And then we're baptized into him as we turn away from our old life and we turn to God. And we're baptized. And all of that, all of that is part of the process at the starting line. And then we declare that allegiance day after day after day. The decision we make in the water, that the confession we make at the beginning that we declare dependence on him, we continue to say that day after day, God, I need you. And we live a life of faithfulness. And as we do that, then eventually, at one point, at some point, we step across that finish line into glory. And man, I've done a lot of races. There's post-race parties and all that kind of stuff. Nothing is gonna hold a candle to the post-race celebration of life when you're on the side of God. You step across that finish line into glory and you enter into the feast of the king of eternity forever. You find your home in his glory. What an awesome thing that awaits us. You know, friends, some of you, you wonder if you know enough I wonder if you know enough Bible to get baptized. I wonder if you know enough theology to get baptized. If you know enough church lingo to be baptized. Let, let me tell you, you will never have all your questions answered. Jesus never says, get all your questions answered and then make your decision. You're never gonna have every, listen, you may never have all your questions answered, period. There will be some mysteries that just linger. And that's okay. Because it's not about being a know-it-all. It's about being a know-enough. You don't got to know it all. You just need to know enough. You need to know that there's a God who loves you and cares for you and he's for you. If you know that you need rescuing and Jesus is the rescuer, that you need someone to lead you better than you've led yourself because you've led yourself astray and you need him to lead you and you're willing to follow him as Lord. If you know that Jesus offers you brand new life, that he came, he lived, he died, he was buried, he's resurrected, and he's alive, and you want to experience the life he offers you, then you know enough to be baptized today. And and then you move from that place, continually learning and finding more and more. 
Some of you are wondering about your childhood. You know, you, you may have made a decision when you were younger, or like somebody made the decision for you. Maybe you were sprinkled as a baby, you were baptized as, a, as an infant, or maybe you were baptized when you were a young kid, but it really wasn't your decision. It was mom, dad, grandparent, it was somebody in the family, somebody who loved you, cared about you, and, and they had fantastic intentions that they wanted you to pursue a life with God. But now here you are, you're an adult, you can think for yourself, you're making your own decisions, and you've heard the good news of the gospel. And you know that it has ramifications for your life. And you know that you gotta make a decision. And you find yourself in a little bit of turmoil, like, yeah, but what about when I was a kid? What, man, am I gonna like mess up what my family did? Is this go against the family? Like, what? Listen, there's no dilemma there. You are simply making the decision to agree with the decision they made. When they made that decision for you, now you get to make the decision for you and say, I'm all in. What you decided you wanted for me when I was little, I now claim for myself as I go all in with Jesus. And that's not a dilemma. That's a beautiful thing to celebrate. You know, some of you came here today not knowing what to expect. You came here with someone and you, you know, friend, they just dragged you along. It's been a long time since you've been in church. Maybe family member, oh, all right, I'll go again. Maybe Fitz will tell some lame joke and it'll be like the best part, whatever. You didn't know what you were doing coming here today. You, you clicked on, you, you jumped online, you're following, you're like, I don't, I don't even know why I'm on, man. After last night, what am I even doing at church, even online? God knew exactly what he was doing when he brought you here, when he had you log on. He knew exactly what he was doing today. Church, earlier this week, the staff and I, we prayed over the children's wing, prayed over the student area. We prayed over every seat in this room. We prayed over every camera for the seats that they represent out there. And our prayer was that everyone who has not yet grabbed hold of the new life that Jesus offers them, who has not yet gone all in with baptism, that today you would make that decision. And listen, if you're joining us online and you wanna make that decision, we'll work that out with you. If you're in the room, in a few minutes, we're gonna give you a chance to go all in with Jesus. But I think that sometimes we, we ask the wrong questions. I, I used to be a teacher, high school social studies, and oftentimes I, I had to sift through the questions my students were asking to get to the actual question, to get to the deeper question, the real question. I think too often what we say, well, well why should I be baptized? Wrong question. Better question. Why would I refuse the invitation of a loving God to new life? Why should I not respond to Jesus today? Yeah, I love what happened when the apostle Paul came to know Jesus. Paul was a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader. He was the leader of leaders and he was out persecuting the church. He was throwing Christians in jail and, and having them tortured and, and some of them murdered because he thought that what they were doing was wrong. But then his eyes were open and he encountered the truth, the reality of Jesus, and he's like, oh my goodness, what, oh, 
I, I need to follow him. I've been so wrong. I, I, I got to change my ways. I, I got to turn to him. And, and one of the men there, right when Paul did this, asked perhaps the best question that we can ask. What are you waiting for? <laughs> I love that question. What are you waiting for? And I think that's the question that some of you need to answer today. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by declaring and boldly calling on the name of the Lord as your Savior, as your leader. Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away. What are you waiting for to experience this new life God has for you? Why would we wait? Friend, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from making that decision today? Maybe you're thinking, well, don't I need to go through some class? Don't I need to get some training? Listen, I just trained you. <laughs> just like they did in the New Testament. You heard a sermon, you heard a message, you heard the truth. Now it's up to you to respond. That's all the training you need. Well, I get nervous in front of crowds. It's okay, you won't be alone. We'll be right there with you. You can even turn your back on them if you want. It'll still happen, it's okay. We'll make it all right. Well, I've been around here for a while. A lot of people probably think I already did this. I'm gonna be kind of embarrassed if they learn that I've never been baptized before. Is waiting gonna make it easier, better? Listen, nobody's gonna judge you. Nobody's gonna think less of you. We're gonna celebrate you. We're gonna celebrate what God is up to in your life. Well, I'm afraid of water. Now, listen, the water's not that deep. There are no sharks, there's no pinchy things, there's no fish, it's clean, it's chlorinated, it's good, it's fresh, it's like filtered, and we have plenty of people who are very strong to pull you back up. It, it, we're, we got you taken care of. Well, what do I wear? Well, you can jump in your street clothes if you want, but we also have shorts for you. We, we got a, a shirt you get, I mean, it's yours. It, listen, you need to change your undies, we got that for you. They're yours to keep, we don't want those back. You can keep those along with your shirt. It's all yours. No wardrobe malfunctions. We got you taken care of. We got private changing rooms. They're guarded. People are gonna watch over your stuff. Nobody's gonna get back there, raffle through your stuff, get any of it. Well, I don't know what to say. You don't have to worry about it. We'll tell you what to say. We'll have you repeat the same thing that Peter repeated when Jesus asked, hey, what do you say? Who do you say I am? They've been having this conversation about what everybody else said about about who Jesus was, and Jesus looks at Pete and says, well, who do you say I am? And Pete says, well, you're, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. In fact, that's what we will have you repeat after us, and we'll tell you, you just repeat, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is Lord, and he is Savior. And because of that confession of faith, we will then baptize you in the name of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins, just as scripture says, like we just read. To have your sins washed away in a clean slate doesn't mean you'll never sin again, just means the guilt is gone. We'll baptize you for the reception of the Holy Spirit, just like we just read in scripture, for the Holy Spirit who wants to come in and he will dwell in you and he wants to fill you, who wants to lead you and guide you and teach you and instruct you and comfort you and steer you. And we'll baptize you for the reception of a brand new life with Jesus like we just read about in scripture. A life that is never, ever gonna end. You say, well, that's great, but what about my kids? What do I do with my kids? 
You tell us, maybe we'll bring him over. Or, you know, listen, our, our kid, man, they love your kids. They'll take care of them for a little bit longer. Shoot, you go celebrate all week. You just pick them up next week. We're good, right? We got them. We got them. I say that for the kid, man, not for myself. My family and friends, they're not here to see it. I really want them to witness it. Yo, we got cameras, all right? You, you tell them, join me at live.okalonacc.org. Something really awesome is about to happen. You send them a text. They'll be able to watch. Or you just wait till later in the day. And you do a watch party. Say, hey, something really awesome happened earlier today at church. I really want you to see this. It, it impacted my life. I, I got new life. I want you to watch this with me. And you can show them then. Maybe you're watching this online. And you're saying, oh, I, I don't know. But listen, if you're online and you're local, let us know you're coming. We'll wait. In fact, we had somebody get baptized last service, and we waited till somebody else in the family could drive over and see it. It was really beautiful. In fact, I think they're still in this service right now. Pretty awesome. If you can't get out of your house, you let us know. We'll come meet you. We'll, we'll take care of you there. And maybe you're watching this and you're far away. We'll connect you to a great church in your area or we'll, man, I'll buy a plane ticket. I will fly to your area, especially if you live somewhere warm. Southern California, we're there. We'll baptize you in the ocean. It'll be beautiful. Hawaii, I'm in. Minnesota, we'll make that work too. Listen, there's nothing that needs to stand in your way. Friend, what are you waiting for? Stand up. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and have your sins washed away. Find new life in him today. And I know as I look around this room, there's plenty of you who've already made that decision. So in just a moment, I'm gonna be right down here right in front of the baptistry and I'm, I'm gonna pray for us and I invite you, if you need to make that decision today, you meet me right down there. Don't delay, no more reluctance, no more resisting, just to respond with I'm in. We got you. And you meet me there. But for those of you who've already made that decision, I'm gonna invite you in this moment to re-up, to reaffirm the decision you made so long ago. For some of you, it was just a couple weeks. Some of you, it was a you know, years, some of you, it was decades ago, you made the decision. But to re-up today, as we do every day, your decision to acknowledge your dependency on Jesus. So I'm gonna have you repeat the confession after me. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. He is Lord. He is leader. He is savior. He's redeemer. He's rescuer, and I am his, and I have new life in him forever, forever, forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of that word. May we as your people live that every day as your people living out the truth that you are rescuer, that you are leader. God, may we turn to you every day, and we thank you for your forgiveness that when we get it wrong, you're still there. And God, I pray for all those who are joining us today in person or online or even watching on demand at some other time who need to make the decision to go all in with you. And God, I pray that whatever stands in their way, that you would break through that, that right now your voice would be loudest, that your call in their life would be loudest. God, the call to new life in you. God, why would we resist that? Why would we refuse your invitation? God, I pray 
that all those who have not yet gone all in with you will make the decision right now, today, to join in a new life with you. God, that all those who want to put their hope in you, their trust in you, their faith in you, that have not yet been baptized, that today they would immerse themselves into a new life in you. God, we pray this for the salvation and the sake of all those who have not yet joined you. And we pray it even more for your glory, Lord Jesus, for your glory, Father, for your glory, Spirit. Amen.